Welcome to Journals of Self-Discovery. Hi, and thanks for joining me. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. That will help me spread the word about Journals of Spiritual Discovery and also attract quality guests. Speaking of which, my guest today is Arnima Pundir. Arnima was featured in the film Meetings with Remarkable Women, and as you will see in this interview, brings an emphasis on the basic tools of the spiritual search, which I think is much needed these days. I hope you enjoy my interview with Arnima Pundir. Well, thanks again, Arnima, for joining me for an interview after uh, my technical problems destroyed half of our last interview. I appreciate this. Yeah, no problem, Sean. It's okay. <laughs> Things happen. <laughs> I forgive you. Thank you very much. I just wanted to... Uh, to let everyone know that you are a very forgiving person, and I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the first question I had for you is um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background in terms of growing up in India, and I was curious mm -hmm. if you felt like that gave you a head start, if you will, on the spiritual path or some advantage. Uh, you know, the... Uh the best thing I felt happened to me was moving to North America because it gave me such a contrasting uh, state of mind, as you would say, you know, just a totally different way of thinking I observed here compared to, uh, you know, India. So I, I realized that I, when I moved here, I became more introspective and I realized how differently I thought, how differently people in general think back home versus here. So I thought that was an advantage. Just getting a little view on your own state of mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also, you know, I, I feel uh, growing up in India, uh, there's like, you know, uh, spirituality, philosophy all around you, religion everywhere so you're always like it's like osmosis so it's always there but in north america if you don't go to church or something like that or if you don't pursue it like uh, actively it's not there you know religion or philosophy or spirituality i, I feel so uh, back at home it's it's part of the culture or part of your day-to-day -day routine somebody talking about Gita, quoting, or religion, or some festival or the other going on. So I think that that might be an advantage or not. Yeah, I think that's the part I was curious about. Mm -hmm. I haven't been to India, mm -hmm. but I, I certainly have mm -hmm. that impression that it's so imbued in the culture and such a tradition. Yeah. Just the, the country is seeped in spirituality, but it sounds like you're uh -huh. saying in a way that was so common that you didn't really think about what it meant that much? Yeah, like still now when I go back home, I realize that how much religion is such a big, you know, just 
rituals, religion, uh, festivals. It's so much part of uh, the culture. And yet people, you know, you just do it on an autopilot mode. You know, I don't think anybody takes the time to really think about why, what is going on. Unless you get a contrast to it, you know, you come here and you, then you go back, then you, it makes, it becomes obvious or, you know, just strikes out that how much uh, this is part of it, yeah, mm-hmm. of uh, who you become, you know. If you, if you had yeah. to mark a point in time that your spiritual search began, when would that be? Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, when I was like 17 or 18, uh, that would, I, that I would think would be the time because that's the time when I was really, you know, started to look at meditation, started, uh, my dad was an, uh, used to go to Osho, uh, meditation retreats. So he, sometimes he would take us with him and, I started to get really, uh, you know, more uh, curious, serious about uh, what it is or instead of, you know, initially when he'd wake us up to do yoga or something, I would think, oh my God, (laughs) why do I have to wake up? And, you know, I I was just being forced to do stuff versus, uh, you know, I started looking forward to going to those retreats and, um, yeah. That was the time, I would think. And what do you think that you were looking for at, the, at that age? Uh, I I think I realized I was just, uh, you know, miserable within. I was really kind of depressed uh, and just miserable. So it was like kind of, you know, your focus moves from your misery to trying to find some sort of solace somewhere else. And I I felt that was my way of, uh, uh, you know, taking my mind off my misery, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, uh, I mean, were a lot of your friends at that age also miserable? Or do you think you were unique in some way uh no actually you know how you when you're a teenager you don't sh- show your <laughs> miserable yeah. you just you know you feel you're you're part of the group and you're you know happy doing things reading books movie watching movies partying whatever but you don't you don't show it you know you my friends didn't show that or uh but I knew I was just, you know, kind of hurting inside, I would think. Mm-hmm. So that's why, yeah. And my friends weren't, in, like, maybe they didn't have an opportunity. They didn't go. They didn't, they weren't interested. And none of my friends right now also back at home, <laughs> you know, from my uh, uh, high school or whatever, they're not interested. They're just doing their thing in life. Living their life. So m- most of the time I don't even talk about this stuff with with them. My college friends, my school friends, or anybody for that matter. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you keep doing uh, spiritual practices like Osho and so forth when you were in college? 
uh, on and off i i never had that kind of discipline in me you know like i i felt my younger sister she had more discipline so she 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 still does her you know practices more religiously disciplined wise and she just does it more regularly i never had that in me but whatever i tried i committed myself to doing it at least for 40 days <laughs> before i give up <laughs> so uh, most of the time i did that and uh, yeah you know different things i um, yeah i kept you know something or the other way i was always trying you know sometimes it was reiki osho meditation then osho had like such a huge way ways to meditate so some of them initially it was active you know moving dancing running mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever he, he caused the meditation so i tried those and then later on it became more uh, sitting down quiet uh, meditations yeah initially uh, my body just won't sit <laughs> i couldn't make myself sit for that long a period you know 45 minutes or whatever so yeah that 40 day commitment is very interesting to me is that yeah. is that something that you developed on your own or did you read about that somewhere uh it's i don't remember but i realized that you know it's there is no point in starting something and just giving it up or forgetting about it in a week uh and i you know i i do take a projects and they are, then i give up <laughs> you know i lose interest i lose inspiration mm-hmm. so i realized that it wasn't being very effective so then i said you know i uh, i'll i'll just do it for 40 days before i decide that i'm not going to do it and still in between i you know sometimes i forgot or i didn't have time to do whatever <laughs> but i once you make that commitment you know even if it was 12 o'clock at night and i hadn't done whatever i was supposed to do that day i'd still do it you know before my day ended so it made that kind of a you know 40 day commitment made me do uh my you know 20 minutes of kriya or breathing exercise or whatever i was doing at that point in time <laughs> different things <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so yoga yeah now uh, after you graduated what came next in your life uh after i graduated uh i moved to delhi i just wanted to get away from home i uh, didn't want to get married you know where i come from people girls get married at 21 as soon as you <laughs> graduate and uh, i just i rebelled i i said no i'm not going to do it i'll run away i'll do anything i'll kill myself <laughs> but i'm not getting that to so <laughs> so i i realized and to be able to take my own decisions in life i had to be financially independent and the quickest way of doing that at that point in time was to get a computer course <laughs> mm-hmm. so i i i got a computer you know i got into computers started got a little computer programming job lived in delhi uh Yeah, it was that was a very very good nice time <laughs> and really nice set of friends and uh yeah and so i moved to delhi and then i yeah 
did you keep up with any sort of practice at that during that phase of your life? Yes, I uh, you know I at that point in time once I I was I did Buddhism, chanting in Buddhism. Hmm. Uh, then I did art of living. Yeah, I you know I just I was still experimenting. Yes, uh, or doing something or the other. You know, just. I, I didn't even think that I was searching for anything. It was just uh, I I don't remember what I why would I do that? But I was doing uh, something or the other, you know, yoga or uh, as I said, I Buddhism was one big thing that I did, and I realized that you know, Anish, at that point I realized when I did Buddhism that their chanting was totally about you know you take a problem in your life and you chant and chant and chant until and then it goes away so i realized you know this is like a vicious circle it's there will always be some problem with the other this is not what i want actually doing that practice made me realize that getting rid of my problems in life wasn't uh uh why i want something mm. i i realize that it's something you know problems will always be there but that's not what i would want yeah mm. wow that but it wasn't as clear yeah <laughs> it wasn't you know it's your thinking becomes clearer and clearer as you grow up i guess but uh, yeah but then i and then getting out of that group was even harder because you know they're group members and just they they <laughs> they tried to talk you into it that why you giving up but in my mind i knew why i was giving up the buddhist group you're referring to yes that buddhist group okay. yes yeah yeah to some japanese buddhist group practice which is done in india yeah and at uh at some point uh, after you left the buddhist group uh did you decide to get married? What was the time frame on that? No, actually, after, uh, yeah, so I was living in Delhi. I, was, I had a nice job. It paid okay. Uh, but, you know, I, I realized that, okay, now I need to <laughs> do something else. So I uh, took up some tests. My aunt and uncle lived in Canada. I talked to them. I asked them what what are my chances of get, getting you know my masters I had a BS a BSc in chemistry biology so my career wasn't going much further uh, so I took my tests and all that I got into MBA program uh, in the little town in Canada where my aunt and uncle lived mm. and I moved with them it was cheaper to live with them than to live on my own so I stayed lived with them for 2 years did my MBA and when I was there, my dad got really sick. And uh, while I was there, he, you know, he passed away. So that was really the lowest point of my life. Uh, I, you know, that was just the lowest point of my life. And when I went back to India after my MBA, I... Um, Sharad and I knew each other for a for a while, but like it wasn't anything serious or anything. So yeah, so uh, yeah, we. I found myself getting married to him. <laughs> so, 
So then mm-hmm. he had applied for a PhD program at Carnegie Mellon, and then we moved to Pittsburgh. That's when I uh, came to US. Okay, and what did you, uh, what was the state of your spiritual practice at that point? What were you interested in? Oh, uh, yeah, at that point I was, uh, you know, I was just, I think mentally, I think I was almost having a breakdown, you know. Mm. I had such a negative uh, attitude of feelings about marriage and then I got married and then my dad had passed away and then moved to Pittsburgh. I didn't have a work visa, so I couldn't work mm-hmm. <laughs> as such. Uh, just volunteered here and there. So uh, that was the, like, psychologically, I think it was the uh, lowest point. But, you know, I think, I, uh, yeah, I was, like, you know, doing 15 minutes of meditation in the morning or in the evening was always a big, you know, it was just always there. So, it, and walk. <laughs> I realized when I walked, uh, my mind uh, uh, churned thoughts. <laughs> it Mind always churns thoughts, you know, but in a particular direction, I would say. Mm-hmm. Just walking by myself, I found very meditative or contemplative, I would say. So that was my spiritual practice. And I walked everywhere in Pittsburgh. <laughs> we didn't have a car or anything. So, mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh was so beautiful, you know, Shinley Park and all the little nooks and crannies and architecture and uh, churches. So, uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, that was my spiritual practice, I would say, at that point in time. Hmm. And do yeah. you recall the types of things that you would contemplate on your walks? Were you were you thinking about uh, uh, your psychology? Or were you thinking about, you know, what's the meaning of life? What, do you know what was going on? Yeah. Um, I, I think at that point I was reading Eckhart Tolle. Oh, okay. So, you know, his power of now. <laughs> yeah. And then miracles. What is that? Miracles. Course in miracles? Uh, yeah, course in miracles. Okay. And uh, 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 then, uh, you know, self-help books, mm-hmm. feel-good books. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're all already there. You're already absolute. You know, those kind of... Yeah. So, I would... So on my walks, I don't know, and something my ma- mind would latch on to and I would, it would start chewing up on it, you know, and then I would think, oh, you know, that makes me feel happy, but is it really true? Mm. <laughs> you know, how do, power of now, I, how much, I can't tell you how much time I spent on it because, you know, everybody talked about it and I said, I'm missing the picture. Wow. <laughs> Why can't I be now? You know, how do you get <laughs> to be now? And I just, mm-hmm. it, you know, so things like that, yes. Uh, or, you know, I am that. How how am I that? You know, how easy it is. It makes, you know, it sounds so simple, but why not? <laughs> I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'm still miserable. There is what? What is the? Where is the missing piece? What? What's? You know, this is not real. This is not true for me, at least. <laughs> so yes. Right. Uh, you know, those kind of thoughts. Yeah. Wow! Great questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I started. You know, as soon as I landed up in Pittsburgh, uh, I saw a poster put up by Art Tickner. Uh, it said, "What are your goals in life?" And since I had moved there, and I thought, oh, this must be one of those career, <laughs> uh, you know, help helping me make my resume mm-hmm. to market myself to help. It might help something. So I went to this free meeting at Carnegie Library, thinking, you know, I'll get some advice about what to do here. And uh, there was this uh, in a back room. There was this room where a few people were sitting in a, a circle. And uh, there was a handout, a poster, the what are your goals in life? And Art said that, you know, take five, ten minutes, think about it. And then we, we, you know, then we can talk or not talk or whatever you want to do. So it was, an, I never heard of confrontation. <laughs> you know, that was a very alien word that we do. This is what we do. We'll question uh, each person and whosoever is in the seat mm-hmm. gets to talk. And we keep our focus on the person. So, and when it, you know, when I started thinking that what really, and the, you know, the feel of the poster was big picture, you know, what are your goals in life? So I started thinking what really is my big, you know, purpose in life? Why my purpose in life is to find something permanent, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so enlightenment, uh, purpose of anybody's life, I felt was that and so I I wrote that you know <laughs> I said okay my purpose of my goal of my life is to find enlightenment mm-hmm. to tell you the truth uh, Sean it uh, it because the question was asked that's why I said it it's not that my I had realized that that was my purpose <laughs> right uh, but yeah or I had any idea about what enlightenment would entail or what it means or how how I would go there. So uh, yeah, so so I uh, and it just felt very uh, uh, within. Like uh, when I answered that, it, I felt happy. You know, I felt oh my god, yes, this is this is uh, the purpose of anybody's life. This is the purpose of my life. You know, the purpose of my becoming anima or human. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Uh, in India, the thinking is that you, after a long, long, you know, after you go through millions of life cycles, you bec- get to be a human. <laughs> and that's your chance to find enlightenment. Otherwise, you have to go through this cycle all over again. So, I, you know, having that background of thoughts, so I, that's what I said. I said, you know, mm-hmm. I won't. Yeah. What did you get from those meetings how were they helpful to you as compared to reading Eckhart Tolle's book well you know first of all I found a group of people who were just so honest you know (laughs) I Mm -hmm. I just love the honesty I think I was really attracted to there was no pretenses not much pretenses I don't say there weren't any at all (laughs) So, yeah, but, and it was, you know, the questions really made me uh, stop and think. 
you know, there were questions like, are you a robot? Um, mm-hmm. And when I, of course, in the meeting, I said, no, I'm not a robot. You know, I'm human and uh, I have choices. I have will. I have, <laughs> I make decisions. But when I, uh, you know, when I would go and it was every two weeks, the meetings were in every two weeks. So when I went home, this question stayed on me and I started to really notice how I think, what I do, you know, how I make my decisions. And I really started to notice how mechanical everything was about me. Everything was absolutely uh, physical, bodily, environmentally driven. Mm -hmm. All the choices you make, all the decisions, so-called willpower, (laughs) I realized I had none. <laughs> when something got done, it was just by grace. And I still feel that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it really opened my... Uh, it surprised me that how really I... How robotic, uh, what a robot I was. So those kind of questions and, you know, what are relationships? Just... You know, random questions. Uh, what does friendship mean to you? Every art would come up with these posters and these questions. Uh, and they were just... Too, I I never missed any meeting from the very first meeting, you know, till the time I was in Pittsburgh. Even when I was like full-fledged pregnant. <laughs> or when I was going to gone to India, you know, I'd go in summer. So that was the only time when I couldn't go to the meetings or couldn't go to the retreats that dad was putting up. But uh, going to those meetings helped me really clarify uh, my thinking. You know, just getting and really, I understood myself on a very human level. And it wasn't about, you know, uh, sometimes I would think, oh, that didn't feel very spiritual. I was used to more you know, incense sticks and sitting and trying to right. create a void or try to stop my thoughts or just look at my breathing. It wasn't anything like that. It was questioning more mental work. <laughs> so, it, uh, so, but that, you know, if I had met art, I would still be sitting in some corner, either taking drugs or <laughs> meditating and wondering oh, what's going on, you know, s- seriously. So, um and then I, uh, I got introduced to Mr. Rose. And when I was reading, uh, you know, uh, uh, Direct Mind, or Psychology of the Observer, and uh, it, it got me a lot of insights into my own thinking. Uh, helped me understand my animal nature, <laughs> you know. The, and I found Mr. Rose's writings to be so brutally uh, simple, and unpretentious and honest you know it was really honest no oh no uh, you know bullshit as would say or no pretenses or no enhancement of a somebody else no enhancement of ego i really noticed how ego operates and what is ego and uh, uh yeah so it, re- it the group, that, uh, 
Mr. Rose, that just helped me understand me. And it it's really amazing that that I find now is the most straightest, quickest, shortest path to uh, finding yourself at your absolute level as well. You know, I can't, right now I've dabbled on this and that and I can't see anything else which is more, uh, you know, uh, shortest, I would say. And there are, you know, sometimes there are people who, or teachers who may just transmit or, uh, you know, awaken people or Advaitic uh, philosophy talks about you just have to, Guru just has to, uh, you know, remove the ignorance. But I, I don't think that would have worked on me. <laughs> For me to imp- remove my ignorance, I had to work on myself. You know, ignorance gets removed, but uh, it, it was a pro- it's a process. And I think self-inquiry is a process. Uh, and what Mr. Rose's system is, there is actually not, not a, you know, ABCD system, but there is a system which you figure out after you just do it. Uh, and that, for me, that really worked. That worked. And I'm very, very, I think it's just by grace of God, I was meant to move to Pittsburgh and meet this group of friends. And by self-inquiry, you're referring to this process of asking questions, confrontation? Uh, See, again, John, on my own, if I sit, I can't ask myself questions. Mm -hmm. I think a woman's mind is not a very questioning mind. However, when someone else or the question is presented in front of you my mind latches onto it <laughs> you know it's like a bulldog <laughs> so mm-hmm. and it so on my own i couldn't have uh, self do it self inquiry but i needed a teacher outside of me a group uh, you know uh, as mr rose uh, says you know it's a, a group work uh, sang i needed that uh, uh, to to do self-inquiry. So it's self-inquiry and eventually you were the one who's asking or finding answers or questions or, you know, you were the one who's doing it. But um, if I'd say, oh, it was coming from within my, I was creating it. No, it wasn't. I was doing it because, um, you know, it was presented to me. Uh, but I was drawn to it. <laughs> that I can say it. And I was drawn to it because I was miserable, because I needed those, you know. I must have seen some. So, yes. And life itself, you know, as you do self-inquiry, you you realize you just become a very efficient, um, uh, smoothly operating uh, robot. (laughs) Much of your, you know, things that you associate after enlightenment comes to you much before, you know. Life becomes much easier. There is certain amount of inner peace which comes. Uh, you're much calmer. Your big cross and troughs of emotion roller coasters uh, become calmer. Uh, you become a better functioning human. Uh, and I became that through this process of self-inquiry because of um, 
help that I got from my from art from other people in the group. So this this sounds a lot different uh, from the impression I think some people might have of asking questions in a group that it's it's much different than a philosophy group, if you will, where you're asking uh, questions and and giving very intellectual answers. This sounds like you're asking very personal questions about your behavior or your psychology or your beliefs, and then you're actually changing as a result of those questions. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely, Sean. I, you know, those uh, philosophical, uh, intellectual, feel-good questions and answers, uh, they, they, they make you feel very, you know, special, <laughs> but th- that's not what really worked for me. It, what really worked for me was, uh, you know, getting in touch with my mundane, my ordinary, my everyday thinking getting behind that, you know, why do I react the way I react? Why do I pick up this ice cream and not that? It really came down to that, you know, my preferences, how they are getting, you know, what are the obstacles in your life? Your, uh, you know, what do you, uh, why do you prefer this over that? And how, and that's your, as you ask or look at yourself, you, you that's how the self gets reduced you know it's you i felt that i was my i was kind of shrinking <laughs> you know uh shrinking in terms of my humongous big special anima was becoming more and more ordinary i would say and ordinariness is where the i felt i realized that where the real uh Absolute lies <laughs> in ordinariness of life, you know, ordinariness of our being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So the questions were very uh, personal, and since the group used to be very small, and uh, it's it was the, the question always was very, you know, used to be uh, more gen- generic, but. Uh, then you translate that question to your own self that what does it mean to you in your context uh, what does self-inquiry mean to me you know where what am I inquiring into am I inquiring into my emotions what or my intellect or my psychology or am I inquiring into capitalist self am I really curious about my mind is really curious about absolute is it really trying to see that or is it just trying to get by or make my immediate world more more pleasant for me to live in you know so yeah so slowly it's uh, that's how your thinking gets clearer your own desires or what you what you want becomes clearer now, at some point, you moved away from Pittsburgh. Did you? How did your self inquiry continue once you left that group? Yeah, yeah, we had to move to uh, Houston. Sharad got a job here at Rice. So, uh, yeah, after six years uh, being in Pittsburgh, uh, we moved to Houston. 
you know, Sean, once that uh, button in your head of self-observation and uh, trying to get behind <laughs> gets switched on, you can't switch it off, I feel. You know, you uh, initially it's insights and wow, oh my God, I thought like that. But then it becomes more and more, the, the your observation becomes more and more uh, uh, passive. In the sense, you know, you become a passive observer. It doesn't mean that your external world becomes passive. It may become more hectic or more active. I had like one little baby, uh, a new place to settle in. Uh, my in-laws were visiting. Sharad was here. So everything was, you know, as busy as life can be. And I was pregnant again. And yet, within I, f I felt my mind was always uh, um, inquiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a, as I said, it's like a switch. And uh, I was staying in touch with, with art had come up with this brilliant idea of starting an online confrontation group. So I was part of that on and off. Uh, yeah, I was always part of it, but the group changed. You know, the dynamics changed. Sometimes it was this, sometimes it was that. But so I was part of the online confrontation group. Um, you know, I was reading whatever came my way. You know, for inspiration. Sometimes I felt, oh, I'm not inspired enough. Or oh, I'm not. You know, I'm not doing enough. I should go. I should do this. What if on my, my biggest fear was that, you know, on my deathbed, I would realize that I never, you know, I didn't try hard. <laughs> I didn't try enough. And uh, that'll be such a lost opportunity. And, uh, you know, maybe I've, I was feeling that maybe I should go and see. Everybody is going and seeing Douglas Harding and Bernadette Robert. Uh, so, uh, but it wasn't happening for me, so... Uh, yeah, that was my little doubt at the back of my head. Now, I would think that at some point, after a number of years, that questions about your behavior, or why do you like this ice cream rather than that ice cream, that those things probably became of less interest or... You knew you know yourself pretty well, I would think, after six years yeah. of uh -huh. of self inquiry. Mm -hmm. How did yeah. this the self inquiry the the nature of it change over time? So, it actually it was a very specific moment in time <laughs> that one day I realized, Sean that you know all this while i've been doing self-inquiry trying to find uh you know my higher self i said i was looking for enlightenment and it struck me that never ever my mind contemplates on uh on uh, you know uh god or uh yeah higher power it it's always looking outwards you know it's always 
the self that gets my attention <laughs> the little self you know the operating anima mm-hmm. on what's going on in her little world um why is what happening and you're right the psychology you lose interest you know you say oh my god it's the same <laughs> old pattern or same old habit <laughs> mm-hmm. get on with it kind of so so you know in that moment it just it was very you know eye opening thought for me to see that uh the mind uh, or me i was never really doing capitalist self inquiry where else i was thinking that this is what i want but it never thought about it uh so so i think in that that particular moment changed uh changed the nature of self in my self inquiry Well, I think uh, I'm sh- I'm certain that anyone listening to this is going to say, oh, "Well, that's what I want to do. I want to do that capital S self inquiry and not that small s self inquiry." Uh, can you talk more about what form that takes, or how that how that differs from small self inquiry? uh you know i think that particular phase was a very um uh, once i realized that i realized that you know there is actually no path that you can walk on <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it's it's supposed to be right here right now and uh, so what what is it really getting why am i not seeing it you know what if it is capitalist self and if i really really wanted how come it's not um it's not obvious you know what else can i do and i re- at that point uh, i realized that i really can't do anything more there is there would be no point in going to any other retreat or reading another book but i still read you know for inspiration and Mm-hmm. just because i couldn't help myself um uh, but you know that that feeling of you are on a path and you're making progress right that kind of flattened out you know that kind of went away and i i felt there is really nothing else i can do except for it felt like i was in a waiting room you know and just uh, the you know and waiting is very hard <laughs> yes i'm not a patient person and uh, it just uh I felt I was in a waiting room and I had nothing else I could do in terms of doing I though I still was you know physically doing things participating and stuff but within I felt uh I was in a as at a point of just waiting that exactly that's exactly how I felt that I had to wait and I I didn't know for how long how many lifetimes or you know in terms of time period what else could i do uh, but the the importance of you know disciplines uh reading or doing something on my part uh that i could do something more that uh that that got lost uh and uh and then i said you know how do i so just yeah, yeah i was just in that uh, 
that waiting room, I would say. And that's different than giving up, right? Uh, yeah, it's not, I, I didn't give up. Yeah, it's not giving up. It's just the that that I could do something on my part more or uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of it's don't take me wrong Sean it's not that I wasn't doing anything <laughs> after that period but within I knew uh, that was like a momentum which was going on from s- such a long period you know but uh, if I felt that you know if I'll sit in this and it'll I'll make this progress that sense of making a progress that it, there is actually no progress that can be made uh, it has to be here and now and right now it's it is it says that uh, I'm not getting it mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't see it I don't feel it there is still something in the way you know and uh, uh, but what what can I what do I do uh, how do I remove myself? <laughs> uh, so it's uh, right, what? right. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. just gonna say that uh, some people might say, "Oh, well, at that point, you just let go." What would you say to that it's, advice? Oh, let go. <laughs> That's such a my pet peeve when I hear that. <laughs> If it was Uh-oh. that easy, you let go first. You show me how to let go. <laughs> I hate such people. So. <laughs> oh, how how I want to let go. Tell me. Show me. Mm-hmm. You show me how to let go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what, what happen. did happen then? You're in this period of waiting. Uh, you're in Houston. You you know that your efforts are not going to cause anything to happen. How long did that go on? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was here in Houston, and then um, when I was in Pittsburgh, I had heard. You know, I'd started hearing that John woke up and. Uh, Bob Circle had this realization and Bob Ferguson and I would just I said oh my god this might just be possible <laughs> you know but mm-hmm. I don't know if it will ever happen for me but it's still possible you know all these people I know them personally you know they're not some guru sitting somewhere writing some books somewhere and I have to go and meet them I know them I know them at you know they're my I've known them I've seen them I've spent some time with them <laughs> So these were real, real human beings, you know. And uh, so, and then uh, I got an email from Art about his. He wrote about his realization, you know. He'd gone on a retreat, an an isolation retreat, and then he had his realization. That was the happiest moment of my entire life. I I can't tell you, Sean, how what a how like my heart. Felt it was just it exploded with happiness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I said, "Oh my God! Now I can talk to God directly." You know, here is uh, Art. He had his realization, mm-hmm. and now I can ask him direct questions. Now I can ask him. I can talk to him, <laughs> and so I wrote a you know whole bunch of 
questions. I sent him an email and then uh, I said, okay, what, what does God feel like? What, what, you know, what is it like? Who, who what is God? What, what does it look? What does it feel? <laughs> you know, I'm a woman. I need to feel everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, so, so he, 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 you know, in his own way, he sent a reply and then uh, I was just, uh, I had a problem, you know, I have, I had a two month old baby and every four hours I needed to wake up and feed him and change him and stuff like that. So I was kind of, uh, uh, you know, lying in bed and thinking about stuff. So this question just occurred to me in that moment here. I really wonder what God feels like. And Sean, that just, that, that was it. That just simple little thought. And I think in that moment, it just was a pure uh, thought for the sake of really wanting to know. And it's all purity, I think. And... And just it, I, I, I realized, I found out what God feels like, what God is, and who I really am, and who you really are, and what everything is. <laughs> I understood uh, Gita, what Krishna was talking about, and you know, what Art was saying, and what Mr. Rose was saying about the Absolute, and... Um, where everything was getting created and how where everything gets back also you know i became the ocean yeah so that that question that you asked of what does god feel like i get the i get the feeling that you could have asked that question on any other day and and not gotten the answer, if you will, or the or the knowledge or experience of what that really is. It's just something about that moment in time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I feel you know the the fruit in that moment had ripened probably and just fell. Yeah, and uh, I, I couldn't, I don't think so it could have happened in any other moment. <laughs> or it could have, I don't know. But in that moment, well, I can only uh, look at it f- from now and I can see what, you know, that it just uh, was that simple thought. It was as simple as that. Do you think, not that not a person could duplicate this but do you think that perhaps being late at night or being in a very relaxed state or just being exhausted from (laughs) from taking care of uh, a little baby that somehow that left you in a more accepting state Sean let me admit to you you know there were times at some point I invented myself a death meditation just because I read how Mr. how Ramana Maharishi mm. you know mm-hmm. was lying in a death state yeah. for a long time and he had his enlightenment yeah. 
So I said, okay, I'm going to I'm going to create death meditation for myself. Yep. And how much I tried, how much I tried, <laughs> pretend I was dead, <laughs> or try to be everything that you know. However, I could be dead as dead as possible. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> that that <laughs> that didn't do for me. Then I said, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll if I stand in the in cold water. Not that I did it, but I, that thought had also occurred to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you know, in olden times, all the swamis and rishis they go and meditate in jungles, uh, stand in cold water during winter, sit in a particular state for months. <laughs> and meditate so i don't think so that really works i i don't know i i don't think it was exhaustion or i i don't know what it was it was just my really wanting to know what uh what god was mhm yeah i i must admit i i still my mind will grasp at any sort of of technique or practice or as you said standing if standing in cold water did it for one person perhaps it would do it for another person so i'm always yeah. interested in in those things yeah. even though i know uh, oh. from experience that that's not the way that works and if anything yeah. those practices are just you know, there are possibilities. Maybe something could happen, but there's certainly no step-by-step way. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, yeah. I think now when I think about it, I feel self-inquiry is a very double-edged sword, uh, Sean. On one hand, you look outwards you look at yourself the smallest self you know your psychology your reactions your preferences your relationships your job what you want your desires on the one hand you're looking at that and yet uh, at the same point in time somehow you have to uh, if you can um, you have to keep in attention the capital as self also you know uh, ramana maharishi give, gives a very beautiful uh, analogy he says that it's like you know a mother brings her little baby to work and while the baby is she's doing her work the baby is playing around her attention still remains on the child no matter what she's doing you know so it's something it's that self remembrance so self observation and self remembrance uh, it's it's not easy and you we all have to figure out ourselves how you can do that uh, i feel you know if i have to recommend something to someone this is what i would recommend mhm yeah but do you think you know my my spiritual path was that of the solitary male who who uh refuses to get married until he gets enlightened uh rightly or wrongly and you know, your path was so different being married and and having children what i'm curious what some of the the advantages perhaps 
you you see in retrospect to that and maybe some of the disadvantages to to being married and having children see Sean if I had a choice you know if I could choose <laughs> right. I would be the solitary hermit I would still like to be a solitary you know rishi somewhere sitting in the cave and just you know <laughs> being by myself but you know living the the householder's life i think it's the best food it's the best uh, fuel uh for the for the journey but i think initially you just have to get if you're not uh, uh if the vector is not set already then it might just uh can be a tangent you know it might just take your mind away from it but i think if the the vector is already set if you already uh a person is already has you know has already realized his deepest desire i think if you have realized that this is the this is my deepest desire then then no matter what is going on you know then everything in life aligns itself to your deepest desire mm-hmm. this is what i want to say yes <laughs> yeah so yeah it's just but getting to that point of uh, uh, admitting or realizing or you know it's like a onion unpeeling purification of desire <laughs> so once that has happened then you married unmarried it doesn't matter everything aligns itself it helps and leading a householder's life is the in my uh you know in my mind in my on my path has been the best fuel mhm yeah you really see your personality acting out or the self how it operates other people's self other people are just mirrors to you right so as a teacher as someone who who can give advice to others on the path do you feel like you're you're more helpful to women or men or do you feel like gender doesn't really matter that much actually gender basically really doesn't matter that much uh you know at the core of it we all are same <laughs> mm-hmm. driven by you know at all levels but uh, yeah um uh, i would understand a woman's psychology how she thinks a little better probably than a man or I'd be more helpful to a woman than a man probably I'm I don't know Sean Mhm uh, I I believe you mentioned that uh uh women are in in general more intuitive than men um uh, did you feel like regardless of gender that our intuition is something that is is perfected already or can it mislead us 
Sean, to tell you the truth, I never saw myself as an intuitive person, you know. And something that I can't put my finger on or, <laughs> you know, I can't touch, feel, see, operate, I, uh, I don't get it. So intuition to me personally, I, I didn't, I, I felt I didn't have any. Um, I had more common sense. I used common sense or whatever is obvious, you know, so uh, whatever is the most obvious next step that I would take versus hmm. intuition. So, but uh, when I look around, I, uh, you know, my sisters or other women, I feel they are more intuitive. Uh, and yet, you know, nature somehow has designed women, a woman differently than a man. You know, she's more grounded. I feel that's why you hear of more men, um, you know, awake, men awaken more. If you take data, I, I'm sure this will be true. Or maybe I don't hear of women, but men have better chances of awakening than women just because women are designed to be more uh, grounded you know they needed I think nature wanted a woman to be more uh, attached identified uh, because because you know the species need to go on <laughs> mm -hmm. so uh, but women are uh, they have just by observation, I'm, I don't know, you know, statistically if it is true or not. I I feel women are more intuitive. And from what I've observed in others, I think people have refined their intuition. They can refine it. Since your, since your enlightenment, awakening, however you want to refer to it, I mean, how has life changed for you? I'm still the same person, John. <laughs> Same whatever, same old whatever, operating, you know, doing a thing. But I think the biggest uh, at my, you know, my human human level is that I feel uh, I I live at a level of you know I live with awe now. You know, my my state of being is. Uh, Everything is like I live in a state of of being in awe of things, you know, just everything, life, kids, how things manifest themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the that's the thing which really got my attention. That that is very very striking difference from before and now in this moment you know i feel i live in a state of awe now honest yeah mm -hmm. yeah well it we've we've talked about self-inquiry in terms of small s self-inquiry and and large s self-inquiry um, are there are there other practices or other parts of a system or parts of a teaching that that you feel are important for people to do or do you think that 
Self-inquiry really is the core of it. Mr. Rose talks about the contractor's law, you know, working in a group. Mm-hmm. Buddha talked about, you know, Sangh. So I feel that is a very, very essential part of, uh, has been a very essential part of my journey. And you know, I've made a humongous uh, progress because of the group work, because of a teacher I found, you know. Uh, and I had f- faith and love and trust in that person, uh, in the teacher, that I could hear him. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to hear other other human being too, Sean. You, not everybody can be your teacher. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to be able to have that kind of rapport with the other, you know, with your teacher, that you're open to listening to what he has to say. Um uh so and group work is is most essential in you know for me at least so yeah this these are essential pieces of self on though it's self inquiry and eventually you do uh, you know you have to go within but to go within also it helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you... S- you know, they say that... Go ahead. Uh, they say that, uh, li- uh, you know, the answers lie within. And then there is some practice. <laughs> you start chanting or, you know, but that doesn't... Uh, you, there is some system that is suggested. Uh, to going within also... If you do it, you know, self-inquiry, uh, the group, the teacher, the this, how the system is, if you have to sit in satsang, how it's, I don't know, Sean. So you have to make your judgment, you know, uh, when you are figuring out what will, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, along that line, I I know I've had people say to me numerous times that they they feel like they don't know what to do next, or they don't know what they need, or they don't know, you know, what practice they should be doing. Do you do you think that that's a a form of procrastination? that people are engaging in they're not being honest with themselves or do sometimes you just really don't know what to do and if you don't well what should you do you know uh, most of the time when people say i don't know what to do i see it as an excuse of not doing <laughs> make an effort you know you, the least you can do is go 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 for a walk and think about what can you do or you know what why why you can't do or you don't know what what you don't know you know mm-hmm. so that's the least you can do it and nobody else it's for me i when people say oh i don't know what to do they're still looking for answer somewhere else you know they 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 want somebody else to serve that serve it on a platter 
it doesn't happen you have to figure it out yourself what you have to do it's 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 your path you need to create that you know so uh, to me this statement is extremely annoying i get very upset when i get <laughs> oh i didn't know that i'm sorry <laughs> my patience runs out so okay do <laughs> do whatever you want to do i can't help you <laughs> so <laughs> So yes uh, and uh, it is procrastinating it's basically trying to you know somebody else you wanting somebody else to provide you answers basically you don't want to do the work you know <laughs> and it is work shot <laughs> it is effort it is work it's not effortless it's not right now right <laughs> you there are it's sweat and it's work and it's constant work <laughs> I mean it sounds like there are no shortcuts in a way even though as i believe you said earlier this this is right here and right now for some reason we can't see it and in order to see it something has to change would you agree with that absolutely shan you know uh knowledge is not a substitute for becoming and pleasure is not a substitute for the capital h happiness <laughs> this art used to say at one some point in time <laughs> so so yeah it's uh there are no shortcuts and you just have to keep keep at it and as i said shon it's it's about clarifying your uh, it's not something that you do for somebody else it's because that you have unearthed that desire in you you know the ultimate desire which each and every manifestation has i think it just gets uh, you know uh, hidden by this or that or something else but once you once you see that that this this is it and by its very nature each and every desi- desire needs to be wants itself to be fulfilled you know so so yes so i know that you mentioned group work earlier as a as an important component of a spiritual path uh did you include having a teacher as part of group work I'm, i'm sorry i may have missed that i feel anybody even if it is a mom dad husband if anybody who needs you who knows you a little better than you know yourself mm. you know mm-hmm. can be your teacher is your teacher it's like little kids playing with little older kids <laughs> so or not even that when you know five people four people get together sit and you know to question each other i think they're mirroring most of the time it used to be like other people mirroring me i saw uh, i got answers out of other people watching other people observing other people what they were saying about themselves so uh, having a monitor who puts it all together helped but, but uh, you know the 
the, in the in a group work it's what other people are saying is i saw it as they were mirroring me they were talking you know i saw i got a lot of insights into my own uh, psychology into my own being from others actually most of the time that you were working with artigner for example uh he had, he had not had a a final experience correct he was just someone right. that you felt mm-hmm. was a little further along the path than you were and you found that very helpful mm-hmm. yeah yeah but i never felt that he you know i he, he was always so wise <laughs> though now i doubt that nah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah so yes uh, yeah Now you now you doubt that Art was very wise is that what you're saying? You know I'm going to interview him at some point on this show. Yeah. Well, I have a a, a couple of other questions um perhaps a little on the lighter side. Uh mm-hmm. is there um is there a film that you would recommend that would uh really shake up a person's perceptions or or be a be a film that would inspire self-inquiry you know Sean the kind of movies that i really really enjoy are like avatar star wars mm-hmm. lord of the rings you know where there's like one big drama something mm-hmm. <laughs> you know human imagination at its peak uh So Harry Potter so these are the kind of movies that I enjoy um mm-hmm. that would but there are you know movies here and there uh dialogues here and there I feel you know this person may know something more he's trying to say something here then uh, but I can't think of a movie that really changed my you know my thinking and Mhm. Thinking as such, but I I got a lot of out of Star Wars, I would say that used to be I used to find it very philosophical. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, series of movies. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've mm-hmm. had many a discussion with people about mm-hmm. Star Wars and and the Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Force, yes. Yeah. Well, how yeah, about and then Harry Potter? How mm-hmm. about a uh, book? Is there a book that you tend to recommend for people? You know, one book that actually really uh made a humongous difference in how I saw myself. You know, taking away the doer was um uh, uh Susan Siegel's uh book uh, oh right collision with the infinite mm-hmm. i think it's the book right yeah so yeah so that 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 book really uh was you know was i would say made a big difference it changed it changed it transformed something in me at that point in time Hmm. Hey, can you say anything more about that or do you remember 
what in particular? Was it the perhaps the suddenness of, of how this came upon her? No, it wasn't. You know, that part I didn't get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, how she lost, you know, how something, her experience as such was, uh, was at that point I didn't, I, I didn't get it to tell you the truth. It was other things like, you know, she talked about, she realized that how mothering mothers, talking talks, walking walks, and there is really not a doer. There was really no her. You know? So, mm-hmm. things like, things of such nature, and then her experiment with uh, TM, and her talking about her earlier life, uh, then, uh, uh, then, then the the later part too. You know when she says that, that after a, you know she was looking for answers, she didn't know what was going on. There was no her, <laughs> and uh, then uh, later on she says uh, this the the spring comes back. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So so, uh, but after after reading that book. Uh, Sean, uh, there was a, actually for a, you know, for a week or so, there was a, I was in a, I felt I was in a different state altogether. Hmm. Yeah. Well, are you, do you currently have a, uh, an online group or any sort of group that you're working with? Uh, yeah, there are about uh, five uh, women, and we have an online confrontation group, uh, and we do it like questioning each other, and you know, just going talking about what's going on in their life, why questioning each other, why they think, you know, trying to unearth each other's belief, holding a mirror for each other, helping each other clarify our thinking, basically. I think this kind of online, uh, my basic intention is to be able to help to clarify somebody's thinking. Great. Well, what I will, what I'll do in the show notes is uh, mm-hmm. we'll figure out uh, what sort of contact info you want to leave there. That way, if people would like to get in touch with you, who who perhaps are in Houston and, and might want to meet up or might be interested in, in an online group, something along those lines, they could get in touch with you. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, Arnima, I don't, I don't have any more questions. I really appreciate your time with this. You're welcome, Sean. It was wonderful talking to you. It's nice to talk to you as well. <laughs>